0: Open your Bibles, if you will, please, to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 2. Mark's Gospel, Chapter 2. And if you will, please, keep your Bibles open to this passage. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses in it, and I want you to think with me about what the Lord is doing in the life of those people in that day and also in our day. As you know, the first four books of the New Testament are called Gospels. The word gospel means good news and thus it is the good news about Jesus Christ. They are writing about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. They are good news for lost people. Each one of the writers of the four Gospels begins from a different perspective. For example, John begins his story with the eternality of Jesus. In chapter 1 in verse 1 and then in verse 3 he said this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was means the reason for it all. And then in verse 3 he said, through him All things were made and without him not anything was made. Matthew begins his story with the genealogy of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1 and in verse 1 he said this is the record of the generation of Jesus the son of God, the son of Abraham. Uh, Luke begins his story with a forerunner of Jesus Uh, going back to John the Baptist. He begins by telling us in Luke chapter 1 and in verse 4, in the days of Herod the king, there was a priest by the name of Zechariah. And then he goes on to tell the story about the birth of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. And Mark picks up his gospel by saying this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God of God. As you can very well see, Mark begins his gospel with the baptism of Jesus and not with his birth, not with his early life. He skips over 30 years of the life of Jesus and he begins with his work. He talks about his baptism and he talks about the work of Jesus. And before you reach chapter 2 of Mark's gospel, Uh, He has already called the 12 disciples that they may be with him. He has been on a mission tour, and the scripture said he had been casting out demons, and he had been healing those who were sick. Mark's gospel, if you will study it carefully, you will notice that there are a lot of fantastic stories throughout the gospel. As far as I'm concerned, one of the greatest stories in the book, Is found in chapter 2. It is a fascinating story, exciting, interesting, and filled with many very valuable lessons. It is the story of the healing and the saving of a sick man, one who was paralyzed. The story is told by three of the gospel writers Matthew, Mark, and Luke and the three of them complement one another. And so I'm going to pull from all three of these writers and then seek to reconstruct the story for you. From the story, we learn three very interesting things. First, we see the helplessness of the sinner portrayed by the paralyzed man. Secondly, we see a beautiful example of cooperation in bringing people to Jesus Christ. Four men who were concerned about a friend or maybe a relative of theirs. And thirdly, we see the power of Jesus to save and also to heal. But I'm going to divide the story into three different ways. We're going to look first of all at a church service that's going on in Capernaum, and then we're going to look at four concerned men and then we're going to look at a compassionate Christ. Oh, what a story this is. John tells it so simply that a little child is able to understand it. And I want you to follow along as we go through the story. First of all, I want you to notice that there is a church service going on in the city or the village of Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum is a small fishing village on the Sea of Galilee not very far from Nazareth. And according to Mark, Jesus had been on a preaching tour throughout the region of Galilee. He had been preaching the kingdom of God. He had been casting out demons and he had been healing the sick. And then Mark tells us that he returned from his mission tour to Capernaum and went into a house and we see the beginning of a church service. Now then, notice what Matthew tells us about Jesus. He tells us that Jesus had come to his own city. Now you and I know that Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem, that he grew up in the city of Nazareth, but when he began his public ministry, he moved over to the village of Capernaum and made it his headquarters from then on. Yes, he made several trips into Judea, And Jerusalem but he always came back to Galilee. Now then we understand also the purpose for which he came back from Judea into Nazareth and finally into Capernaum. Matthew again tells us about this. He says when Jesus heard that John that is John the Baptist was cast into prison he departed into Galilee. Uh, John was cast in the prison in Judea. And so when Jesus heard about this, he left Judea and he made his way back to Galilee, which is in northern Israel. And then he goes to his home synagogue on the Sabbath day and preaches a powerful sermon, so powerful that he made his congregation mad and they tried to kill him. And the Bible said he walked out from them and he moved over to Capernaum and that's where he is now. He had been on a mission tour, and now he comes back home. He returned to Capernaum. Immediately, news began to spread that Jesus had returned to Capernaum, and that he was in a house, and that people had gathered together, and that Jesus was preaching unto them. The scripture goes on to tell us that the building was filled with people, Every inch of space was taken up. Uh, Some people were standing in the doorway, and even others were standing on the outside in the yard listening to what Jesus had to say. Now that congregation in that day was made up uh, basically of the same kinds of people that are in every congregation. There were at least three groups there. Uh, There were the concerned people. Uh, These are the folks who are interested in learning the truth about God. The scripture said the common people heard Jesus gladly. And so immediately when they heard that Jesus had returned to Capernaum, uh, they gathered at the house where he was. But there were also some critics there. Now this was a scouting party uh, sent by the religious leaders from Jerusalem. Uh, They went everywhere Jesus went, and they were there to catch Jesus saying something they didn't like, and they would report him to uh, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. The scouting party was made up of straight-laced Pharisees and nitpicking scribes, Every one of them had their notepads and their pencils and whatever Jesus said, they jotted it down. Not that they might later go back and read it to be benefited by it, but that they might use it to bring him down to destroy him. As you read the New Testament, the Gospels, you will note that conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders began very early in his ministry. It was inevitable. Because the two of them, the religious leaders and Jesus, preached two different things. For example, Jesus always preached about compassion and love, and they talked about legalism. Uh, Jesus talked about God's holy law, and they talked about the traditions of the elders. Uh, Jesus offered to lift burdens from the backs of those who were burdened down with sin And these religious leaders placed heavy burdens upon their shoulders. But they were there listening carefully and taking notes. But there was a third group of people who were there. And these I call the curiosity seekers. Now you will remember that this was before the days of television and iPads and cell phones. And whenever there was a crowd of people gathered someplace, everybody rushed over to see who it was and to see what was going on. Uh, we might call them the rubbernecks because whenever a crowd assembled together, immediately they made their way to it. You know, the Bible tells us that when Jesus began his ministry and uh, that the people followed him, great multitudes of them followed him. They followed him as long as he was feeding the multitudes. They followed as long as he was performing miracles, as long as he was healing the sick and casting out demons, they were there. But according to John's gospel in chapter six, when he began to declare his purpose for coming to this earth, and when he said, I'm the bread of life, and unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And John said they suddenly turned away. The truth always divides people. And they didn't like to hear the truth. Mark also tells us two other things about Jesus and this preaching service in Capernaum. It said that Jesus preached the word unto them. And then he goes on to say and the power of God was upon him. I pray that that would be in every church service we ever have. That whoever stands before a congregation will preach the word to them and the power of God might rest upon him and upon the congregation. The church service is going on in Capernaum. And while it's going on, there are five other men who live in Capernaum. Four of them are concerned servants of the Lord and they are thinking about a friend of theirs. I do not know who the four men were. Uh, they are unnamed, and so I'm going to give we, these men different titles. I'm going to call one of them the uh, chairman of the deacons, and another one the prophet's chairman. A third one was the treasurer of the congregation, and then there was the outreach leader. I don't know which one of these men heard that Jesus had returned to town, but I'm going to think that it was the outreach leader that had heard the news, and immediately he began to think about a friend of his, or maybe a friend of all four of them, a paralyzed friend, and maybe they had gone to synagogue school along with him, but along the way something had happened, and this man is now paralyzed. All he can do is lie there on his bed and look up. There are two things that I do know about the paralyzed man. I know first of all that he was sick, that is he was paralyzed. The scripture said he was lame. It may have been that he had an accident of some kind and as a result of that he's paralyzed. Or on the other hand, he may have lived a rather loose and fast life and something happened. I do know that later on, Jesus said to him, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. He might have been referring to whatever caused this man to be paralyzed. There is one thing that I do know about him. His past was a blot. His present was a blank. And his future was a nightmare. He had absolutely nothing to look forward to. He was a sick and paralyzed man. The second thing I noticed about him is he was a sinner. Now I know that he was a lost man because the first thing Jesus said to him was, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. You know, every unsaved person has spiritual paralysis. Everyone that's unsaved is like this man paralyzed spiritually and if that paralytic is going to get to Jesus somebody's going to have to help him and that's usually the case with most unsaved people if they get to Jesus it's because somebody helps them some man some woman somewhere who knows Christ helps them to get to Jesus Christ. Well, now, these four men are concerned about their paralyzed friend. And I believe that it must have been the outreach leader who first began to think about the paralyzed man. And he made his way over to the house of the chairman of deacons, and he said to him, Did you know Jesus is in town? I would like to take John. The Bible doesn't tell us his name is John. I'm just giving it to him. In fact, I'll name his wife. She was Mary. And so John and Mary are there in the home, and uh, the outreach leader said to the chairman of deacons, uh, I'd like to get John to Jesus in this service. Would you help me? He said, of course. The two of them made their way to the house of the property's chairman, and would you help us? Surely. And they went on to the house of the treasurer, Would you help us? Certainly. And so the four men have a good plan. It's a beautiful example of cooperation in soul winning. <clears throat> if, one man, <clears throat> if one man can't get others to Jesus, maybe four can, you might need to team up on some of your friends or relatives and maybe get somebody else to join you in prayer and, and witnessing to them and get them to the Savior. They've got a good plan. It seems to go well. And so they, four men, make their way down to the house where the paralyzed man lives. Mary opens the door, and they say to her, Mary, Jesus is in town. He's preaching at a house here in the city, and we'd sure like to take John down there. Maybe he could be healed. She said, I'd love that. It would be wonderful. John is in agreement. And so while she gets John ready, the four men go out and make a stretcher of some kind. They bring it in, place it by the bed, gently take John off the bed, place him on the stretcher. Out of the door, down the street they go, making their way (coughs) to the house where Jesus is, but then they run into a problem. And when they get there, they find that the house is packed jammed with people, Uh, Some people are standing in the doorway. Others have spilled out into the yard and they walk up to the first people in the yard and one of them said, would you excuse us, please? We'd like to get this man to Jesus. And nobody moved. They looked around for a fire marshal and couldn't find anyone who would open a path for them. And then uh, they put the man down on the ground And one of them said to the other, what are we going to do? Shall we wait until the crowd leaves? One of the others said, well, that may be a long time. And one of the other people said, well, I suppose we'll just have to take John back home. We tried. We did all we could. We did our best. We brought him here. But no, no, these people, these four people, When they ran into one problem, they looked for a way to solve that problem in some manner. I would say they were persistent. The Bible tells us that in verse 4. Now, you do recall that houses in Palestine normally had flat roofs. On the outside of the house, there were stairs that would lead up to the top. And in the early evening, after they had dinner, the people would normally climb up on the housetop and sit on it and enjoy the breeze coming off of the Sea of Galilee. And so it must have been the prophet's chairman that said to the others, you wait here one minute. He made his way around the house and up the stairs and standing on top of the roof, he listened carefully and he walked around just a little bit. And then he said, I believe Jesus is standing right about here. And all we've got to do is to tear a hole in this roof and let, the, let John down into the presence of Jesus. It won't be a hard task, he said. You remember that in those days, the roofs were most of the time made out of mud and clay. Uh, there would be some logs as rafters going across the top and then some limbs laid across them and then mud and straw and all of that would go and it would make a nice roof but easy to tear up and so he came back down and said to the others i know what we can do fellas all we've got to do is climb up on the roof tear a hole in it and let john down and immediately the treasure of the church said wait one minute who's going to pay for that roof And when he did, the outreach leader said, I'll pay for it. Let's get him to Jesus. Don't worry about money so much. Worry about souls. That's what's important. I'll pay for it. Let's just get the man to Jesus Christ. You know, the reason people die and go to hell is because nobody's willing to do anything about it. All around us are lost people. People who will never get to church unless we push aside everything else and make priority number one, the winning of lost people to the Savior. And this brings me to the compassionate Christ. Can you imagine it? Go with me in your minds to that house in Capernaum. Jesus is standing there preaching and multitudes of people are in there. And then all of a sudden, Jesus loses the attention of the congregation. Instead of looking at him, they're all looking up. And when Jesus realized that he'd lost their attention, he also begins to look up. And the strangest thing is going on up above. First of all, there's a little hole about this big around. Debris is falling. People are standing on their tiptoes as they look up. The hole gets a little bit longer and wider and longer. And finally, it's about well six feet long and about two feet wide. And then Jesus stopped his preaching. The four men are up there. They have uh, tied ropes to the end of the stretcher. And they began to lower this man down in the stretcher, right down in the very presence of where Jesus is. Now, once he is on the floor in the house, the four men fall down on their stomachs and their heads are out over the hole and they're looking down to see what's going to happen. And the Bible tells us two things about Jesus. First of all, they said he looked up and he saw their faith, the faith of the four men. How did he see their faith? He saw it by what they were doing. James said, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. They were working. They were watching. They were waiting. Jesus looked up and he saw their faith. And then he looked down and he saw this paralyzed man lying there at his feet. Everyone in that congregation is thrilled. They're excited. They're standing on their tiptoe. Expectancy is upon them, but compassion is in the life of Jesus. And then Jesus looked down at the paralyzed man, and he said to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And when he said that simple sentence, the critics who had been taking note gasped. You realize those words that Jesus said, look at them. Son, your sins are forgiven. A very simple sentence, but full of significance. About six words, but no sweeter words have ever been spoken to the heart of an unsaved man or woman than that. Whenever a person comes to Jesus and trusts him as Savior, the scripture said our sins are buried in the depth of the sea our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west our sins are blotted out of the record book and God remembers them against us no more now Jesus did not take sin lightly he knew that he was going to die for the sins of mankind And when Jesus said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee, the religious leaders over in the corner were horrified. Their theological minds were shocked. They knew that only God is able to forgive sin and they were absolutely right in that. The remission of sin is the prerogative of God. And for a man to say your sins are forgiven, if he's not able to, it's blasphemy. And they were right with that. And their theological minds are having a dialogue. They're not talking out loud. And they're just murmuring to themselves, very low. Or maybe not even saying one word, just thinking. You see, they had the idea in that day that sickness and sin were together. And they believed that if you were sick, it was because you had sinned. And the only way for you to get well was for God to forgive the sin. They connected those things together. In fact, some of the rabbis of that day said this, there is no death without guilt and there is no suffering without sin. And so they reasoned in their heart, according to verse 6, who does Jesus think he is anyway, God? Yes, that's right. He knew exactly who he was. He was God. But then they were saying something like this. Now he has said, your sins be forgiven. Why doesn't he tell the lame man to get up and pick up his stretcher and walk out? And when Jesus saw that thought come to their minds, Jesus said to himself, well, i'll just prove to you that i am god and he did three things first of all he had read their thoughts his x-ray eyes looked deep into their minds you know we all live in glass houses he knows every thought you've had since you came into this auditorium he knows what you're thinking right now then secondly he forgave the man of his sins now no one could see the mass of sin in that man's life but jesus and no one could see it depart from his life but jesus nobody could see it and then he turned to the man and he said to him i want you to stand up i want you to pick up your stretcher and i want you to go home and when jesus said those words that paralyzed man suddenly Felt a surge of energy come into his legs. He stood up. He reached down and began to pick up that mat upon which he had been brought. And when he did this, a revival broke out in Capernaum on that day. Listen to what the four of the three gospel writers tell us what happened. Matthew said this in Matthew chapter 9 the people were awestruck. He said they could hardly contain themselves. Mark says the people were amazed. He goes on to say they went wild. And then Luke declares that the people glorified God. Can you imagine it? When that man stood up, everybody in that congregation stood taller and applauded praise Jehovah praise God this man has been saved and this man has been healed the man has picked up his stretcher and he starts toward the door and people move just a little bit tighter and let him walk through the four men up on the roof seeing what happened down below rush down the stairs the man makes his way through the doorway And out into the yard, people part for him to come. And the five men meet out in the yard, and they grab one another and praise God, praise God. One of them said, we did it. We did it. We did it. We got him here. And now he's saved. And no more than that, he's healed. And all five of these began to go down the street toward the house where John and Mary lived. They're walking as fast as they can. But about halfway down the street, John can't take it any longer. And he begins running. And as he runs, he starts crying, Mary, 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 look at me, look at me. Mary is on the inside and she hears somebody calling her name. She opens the door and looks and there's John. Not lying down, being brought by someone. But on his feet and he's running out of the door she goes and down on the street and they meet down on the street someplace they're hugging one another they're crying they're praising god a man is saved and a man is healed now every one of us in this congregation today will identify in some manner some way with some of these it may be that you are here as the crippled man you're unsaved it may be that you are here with a friend of yours you are concerned about you would be with the four people who are concerned about bringing others to jesus christ in just a minute we are going to have a hymn of invitation the invitation is simply this if you do not know jesus christ as your own personal savior If you would get up out of your seat and walk down one of these aisles, Brother Randy will be here and talk with you and pray with you, and you can come to know Christ as Savior and have your sins washed away. Maybe, on the other hand, you have a family member, a friend who's unsaved. You've been trying to get that person to Jesus. You can't do it. You might want to step over to one of your friends that you pray with and talk with and you may want to come and just kneel around the altar and the two of you, or maybe four of you, just pray together. Lord, let us be able to get Mary or John or Bill or Sue or whoever else to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever Christ speaks to you about today, let me urge you to do it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful story found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. And I pray that you might save every unsaved person in this building and that you might help us to be concerned more about lost people and to gather together, maybe in threes or fours, to pray for and to bring people to Jesus Christ. And for it, we will praise you and thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.